Good morning, everybody, and excited to be with you guys today as we go into, I think it's week nine of our kind of online COVID response worship gatherings here at um, Journey Online. And just before we get started, just want to take a moment and tell you guys that we're still praying for you. I know this thing is going on forever. I know that everybody's getting antsy. I know that it can feel like you know, what is going on and this, I'm just over it and I wanna go back to shopping or I wanna sit in my restaurant with my friends and, and there's just so many things that we are missing as, uh, as humans, basically. Um, and that togetherness is a very, very difficult thing to, to miss out on. And that so many of us feel like, man, I just can't wait to be together again. I am with you. I am excited about the time that we get to come back together. I'm looking forward to that. Um, right now, um, just the wisdom that I sense is that we're just going to keep holding fast to the guidance that we're getting from our public officials. And we're just going to hold fast to, hey, folks, we want you safe. And we want to just keep moving forward and sensing what God is up to. And we'll just keep you posted on that in the weeks to come. Um, but today, just, yeah, get your Bibles, drop your chair and and let's open the scriptures because I really feel like this season is something not to miss and and that's what we're going to talk about today how it's easy to be out in front somewhere wishing away the moment we're living that's why we're in the series in between in between that time where we leave the old life and enter the eternal plan of God in heaven um, that that is our life the in between is where we live and kind of right now it's I think very interesting and symbolic that we are in between. We're in between the discovery of this, of this virus and the time when it's over and we're just kind of living through that. And that's why I think the scriptures are so powerful and so timely to just speak into our present moment and to this cultural moment and to kind of help us understand and harness the greatest things of our personal experience today. So grab your Bible, it's gonna be in Exodus chapter 15. And um, here's something I'm discovering, and, and I've, I've known this, but it's fun to rediscover. Music is so powerful. I'm not a person who listens to music all the time, but when my, since my family's together more now than it has been um, in previous seasons just because of the COVID thing, we are playing a lot of music together and worshiping together and experiencing that together. And music is just so powerful, and, and it's just it moves us. It, it can bring a hardened person to tears. Um, music is like the language of the soul. When you can't think of a way to express yourself, it's kind of like music can sometimes give you the voice or the language, that emotional connection with your feelings that you can't come to with words alone. Music can take you back to a specific time and place. Like I was hearing a song not long ago that literally it's all by myself from Eric Carmen back in 1975 and instantly I'm transported to my seventh grade year of junior high and I am literally emotionally and mentally, I picture myself walking down this, this aisle of a grocery store. I had broken up with a girlfriend that I had been with for, man, forever I think, it was like weeks at least. And we were together for a while, but it was kind of one of those things where, you know, I hear that she's not really into me anymore. And I'm kind of like, well, I'm not going to let her break up with me. So it's like, I want to break up. Well, me too. But I remember after that experience, I was just kind of wandering down the grocery aisles and this song came on the house radio over the grocery store. And I was just like, all by myself. And it was like, yeah, I'm all by myself. And it's that feeling that is as a, as a grown up in my fifties, I'm taken, transported back to a time in my, in my early years, just in my teens. Then I kind of think of 
there's another song that kind of comes to mind when I hear a song like, I'm all out of love, I'm so lost without you, air supply. And instantly, I am back in a phone booth at Bethany Bible College, out in the cold, and Lori and I, who had been dating for a long time now, we're separated because I'm away at school and she's back home, and we had been apart for a couple years, and I'm out at the payphone dropping quarters, or using one of my little, I know some of you have never even, we used to have to do that. You pick up a phone, you dial it, and you put in quarters to talk to somebody. And that's something you, you cell phone generation folks haven't experienced. It's lovely, believe me. Out in there and using the little credit cards that you could buy, the little, the little phone cards to talk to Lori. And that song just reminds me of that season of being separated from Lori. I mean, what about you? When you hear that, dun-dun-dun-dun, dun-dun-dun, dun-dun-dun. Dun, 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 Eye of the Tiger. Some of you don't even know that song, but for me, it's so funny. I'm instantly back in the pickup truck, the front seat, with my buddies, Eric and John. We're driving around on a Saturday night looking for somebody to squirt out the window with our fire extinguisher. I mean, instantly, you could be transported. I hear other songs, and there's certain music that just takes me back to times where I'm in, I'm in an environment with some old friends. I'm experiencing something over again. Music literally transports us in time. And, and I think of a song that I heard recently. It's, it's a song by Chicago. You're the meaning in my life. You're the inspiration. I know it's not quite as good as the original version, but the song, as I hear it, it takes me back to my wedding day. As Lori's coming down the aisle, we, you know, we, that was one of the songs in our wedding, and I'm just like, oh my gosh, here we are looking into each other's eyes, and we're making our vows to love and, and cherish each other till death do us part. Music is powerful like that. It's, it's just like it can take us somewhere. It, it helps us relive great victories. When I hear, you know, we are the champions, my friend. I, I'm taken back to my high school years when our team was winning the, you know, the, the, the league championship. Or you go back to memories of wonderful times. I hear Disney music and I'm back in the car with my kids on the way to a family Disney day. Music has that, it's like an emotional sticky note that literally helps us remember. It's like an index card that takes us back to an experience or a time or a moment like few things can. That's why I think the ancient Hebrews, the Israelites, used songs as markers of their experiences with God, of highlights and high points and experiences that were even difficult for them. David was one of the most famous of these. He has a whole book of them um, that he wrote. It's called the Psalms. It's just his experiences put to music. But one of the even less famous but more important ones perhaps than even that was one of the first songs, actually the first song ever recorded in the scriptures, and it's the one we're going to be covering today. It's out of Exodus chapter 15, and it's the song of Moses and Miriam. And this is a, it's a crazy important moment because songs help them to never, ever forget what God had done for them. So Exodus 15 we pick it up in verse 1, and here's what Moses records. Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. He has hurled both horse and rider into the sea. Now, this song is like 19 verses of pure celebration and worship. 
And today, I want us to open this song and see if we can't trace the finger of God through the story of the Israelites and right through the story of our own lives as we journey through our own in-between. So basically, where we're at in the story is God had sent the deliverer. His people had been imprisoned and basically enslaved in Egypt, and they'd been there for 400 years. They began to cry out to God, and God sent Moses as the deliverer to set his people free. And we remember that they went through the plagues, the, the 10 plagues where God literally got, got Pharaoh to send them out, like in the middle of the night, just go, just get out. And so we find the people of, have left Egypt. They're on their way to the promised land, but as we talked about last week, God didn't send them directly to the promised land, which would have just been a four to 11 day journey. He literally takes them the roundabout way. He puts them right in the path of trouble. He takes them to the side of the Red Sea and then Pharaoh's army changes their mind and they come after them. Last week, we talked about God's redemptive story, how he brought about the great rescue, how Moses with his staff just you know, prayed over and commanded in the Red Sea open. God did this incredible work. The people passed through on dry ground. And then as Pharaoh's army pursues them, Moses prays again and the waters literally cover up the entire Egyptian army. The people are so excited. They're singing and dancing and celebrating. And that's where this song comes from. Immediately after that, we come right into the story where Moses writes a song to give God praise and to mark that moment forever in their memories as the day of God's deliverance. <clears throat> so we remember that God didn't let his people participate in the battle with the Egyptian army. It was the greatest army on earth. Their only contribution was to keep God in front of them and to keep walking in obedience to him. Just keep him in sight and keep moving towards God and then he will take care of the rest. Because what we discovered is following God's commands leads to God's provision. Following God's commands. When God, when God commands something and we follow it, that unlocks God's provision. And he takes care of some of the things we wouldn't be able to take care of if we tried. Also, God wanted them to see that he fights for us when we trust him, when we let him. And, and, and this is something I've come across, how we can sometimes be wounded or frustrated or <clears throat> circumstances in life um, just seem so unfair and we just want to make them right. And, and sometimes it's beyond our power. I, I just came across um, a website this week. I was looking up a pastor that I have a great respect for and wanted to get into a new book of his. And I just found web page after web page where they're just tearing them apart. And I just discovered over the years that every great man or woman of God who's doing something for the kingdom has a web page or more dedicated to just ripping them apart and tearing them to shreds. I don't get it and, and I, it just breaks my heart, but that's the reality of the world we live in. We have enemies that we can't possibly even fight. So sometimes, like in this story, those are the ones we can't even worry about. Let God fight our battles. Let God take. If it's a friendship conflict or something, sure, address that. But if it's something out of your power, if it's beyond you, trust God to fight your enemies for you. So one deep truth about the Red Sea experience is this. The point of the Red Sea in our lives is not for God to get us beyond the sea. It's to get us to see beyond God isn't just, his point is not just to get us through the sea. His point is to help us see beyond the sea, to see him beyond our circumstance. 
It's beyond our present moment, beyond this crisis that we're in, beyond the COVID experience, beyond the being locked at home with my kids, or beyond this, my pay has been cut, or beyond this, whatever your Red Sea moment is. The point of that, and yes, there is a point, God uses all things, evil things, good things, all things, together for good for those who love him. He works them all together. The point of that is not to just get you through your Red Sea, but it's to help you see him through that, to see God beyond your circumstances, to follow him in spite of your pain and the problem and the challenge and the things that's go- that are going on right now. And the truth is, we will never be people of true worship until we can see beyond our present circumstances to our great God who exists on either side. Because our God is not limited to space or time or present realities. He's not stuck at home because of COVID. He's at work and he's doing something in you and through this Red Sea moment of yours. God uses the Red Sea to teach us some powerful truths. Here's just a couple quickly. God is leading us as his children. He wants us to learn that he leads us, that we're not out here on our own. He wants us to know that he doesn't abandon us midstream or mid-ocean or mid-whatever, mid-COVID. He doesn't abandon us. He's going to see us through. He wants us to raise our understanding of who he is, what he's like, how he engages with us. God wants us to come closer in difficult times so he can express his love to us and expose his capacities and his abilities and his, his power to us. He wants us to be people who love him, trust him, and worship him in spirit and in truth. And these are the moments where we get to, to practice that. God wants, most of all, to be the center of our loves. He wants to be the choice of our affections. He wants to be the place where our heart resides. He wants to be home for our hearts. He's called us to love him first and to seek his kingdom first. These are those moments where he shows as provider, protector, and just really the lover of our souls that he wants relationship. So let's jump in again, back to the Song of Moses and what the Jewish historians have called the Song of the Sea. Because here's what we we learn, a couple realities about worship, about songs that help us connect with God. First of all, when it comes to songs and worship, true worship is a response. Verse 1 says, Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. He has hurled both horse and rider into the sea. Notice that it starts with this one word, then. Then. Then what? Well, their response, their action, their song that they sang was a then because it was a literal response to God's first action. God always takes the lead. God always makes the first move. God acted on their behalf, and then it's up to them to respond. First, God revealed his power, his greatness, his love to his people, and then their response was a song of worship. True worship is a response to something God is already up to or done. Worship is our response to God's protection in the past, to God's provision in the present, and to God's promise in the future. So worship is a, it's a response to God's protection in the past. <clears throat> worship is like looking at a family photo album. Have you ever done this? 
Have you ever pulled out an old family photo album and then looked at it and then just, you see things you never saw before? You look at yourself and like, oh Lord, who said that was a good hairdo? Why did I ever think I looked good? Or maybe you see things you didn't notice like how young your parents were then. Or maybe you've forgotten, you know, about the past experience and what you were feeling in those relationships because of your present. That's how worship works. As we look back, we see things that were impossible to see while we were in it. But when we recall those things, when we go back to God with those experiences from our past, it helps, it helps us create a fuller picture of God's leading, his guiding, his protecting, his encouraging. Worship is one of the ways God helps us to see that he has been there all along. He didn't just drop into the story recently. God has been leading you, working and encouraging your entire life. He has been with us throughout our lives, and worship helps us to see his handprint, his fingerprints all over our lives throughout the seasons. It's our response to God's provision in the present. So not only is it it's kind of like the photo album of our past that helps us see things we couldn't see before, but it's also just kind of brings us to, into tune with what's happening right now in our present. Worship helps us identify and experience God's activity right here, right now. Because worship is a way of slowing down. It's a way of tuning in. It's a way of quieting the noise so we can really hear and sense God's voice and activity. It reminds us that God is up to something right here, right now. Even though it feels like the whole world is on lockdown, God is not locked down. As a matter of fact, God, I think, is doing more for some of us right now than we have sensed him doing in a long time. One of the real tragedies of people becoming too fixated on their past or too, you know, locked into the future of heaven is that we miss the God of the moment, the God of our present. And I think I'm all about what God has been delivered us from. I can't wait to see what God has in store for us tomorrow. But at the same time, if that's all I think about, if I run from my past, or I just race to my future, I miss the moment I'm living now. The kingdom of heaven has been brought into the world now. The kingdom has already come and has begun to unfold, and we're part of that experience now. Have you, been, have you ever been so focused on getting somewhere else that you've completely lost track of the moment you're living? I remember as a family, we would take these trips and we've mentioned that I mentioned before how getting to Disneyland where I as a father and the driver and the one who's trying to get us there have always been so easily focused on getting there. Guys, would you hurry up and get in the car? Would you get your shoes on? Would you put that seatbelt on? Would you? Because we have to get there so then we can have fun. <laughs> and this whole moment, we've lost the very, the, the very possibility of having fun in the moment. And we might even have ruined the future because of the tension of the moment. Whereas God wants us to bring the present moment into worship, into focus, into perspective. And that's one of the things worship does. It brings the present moment into perspective so we can enjoy the current situation or God's presence in the midst of our enemies. We can understand he's got this too. Right here, right now, worship is moving me closer to the heart of God so that I, ca just, I just catch a glimpse or maybe I just hear a whisper or maybe I just sense in, in my other senses that he is there. Worship anchors us to the reality of God in our in-between. But also, worship is our response to God's promise to the future. 
The future matters, absolutely. I'm sometimes, you know, put off by Christians who all they do is live in the tomorrow or the future or heaven one day. I, I get that most of us struggle living in the present, but folks, we really don't want to forget what God has promised to our future. God has already existed, past, present, and future at all times. And right now he's living, he's straddling literally our past, our present, and our future all at once. God lives in the eternal now. Everything is now to God. And it's, it's a bit of a mind bender for us to kind of get our heads around that, but God knows your future. He already is with you there, even though you haven't been there, because God is eternal. Again, he's already waiting for you. The future God has for you, as a matter of fact, when you trust him, when you follow him, when you place him in charge of your life and you're obedient to him, man, you have a place of promise before you that just will absolutely blow your mind. This is how Paul said it in 1 Corinthians 2.9. He said, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has, has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. As a follower of Jesus, your future is so bright, you need sunglasses. I mean, this is unreal. He's not only delivering you from past pain, he's not only preparing you know, and providing for you in the present, but God is preparing you for something unbelievable in the future. And worship is the only appropriate response for the future God has in store for us. That's one of the, that's why worship is so important. That's why the children of Israel in this moment begin declaring the greatness of God for what he has done, what he is doing, and what he will do in future generations. That's what worship does for us. Have you allowed yourself to think about the promised land lately? It's important that we do that from time to time. You know, we don't live in tomorrow or we'll miss today, but you need to think about it. No more pain, no more sorrow, no more tears. The river of life flowing out of the garden of God. The renewal of all things, joy and peace and unlimited discovery and perfection and beauty. And we get to be with Jesus, with our perfect bodies, of course. My abs will look better than today, perhaps. What a great God we have. What, isn't that amazing? The worship is our best and greatest response to our amazing God. So the next truth, not only do we start with, hey, it's a response, but worship is a focused response. True worship is focused. It's all about him. Verse 2 says, the Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will praise him. My father's God, and I will exalt him. You notice the recurring theme here? 19, um, 12 times in 19 verses, the words, the Lord, are used. And that's not even accounting for the hymns and he's and all that. But 12 times in 19 verses, the Lord is the focus. Why? Well, because it's all about him. When you come into an experience where you encounter God and it's like this Red Sea moment, when God delivers you from cancer or rescues you from a broken past or an addiction or a thing, man, there's that moment of like, man, it's all about him. He is so good. And that's what this records. True worship is focused. It's focused on him. When it comes time to part the Red Sea, um, we recognize Moses was instrumental, right? I mean, God told him, Moses, stretch out your hand and command the sea. And, and Moses did that. And then God responded by opening the sea 
right? So Moses obeyed, and because he obeyed, he got to participate in the miracle, but Moses was not mentioned one time in the song. Why is that? Because it was all about God, and Moses recognized, I'm just the instrument. He's the master musician. It's kind of like instruments are important, but instruments are not the thing of focus. When you praise, you don't praise an instrument, you praise the master of the instrument. It's kind of like if you went to an amazing concert and you got to hear Beethoven or some famous person you've always wanted to hear. Afterwards, who would rush up to the stage and say, I want to take a selfie with the piano? Or I want to get closer, I need an autograph of this. I want to, ha I want to have one of those in my own home. We don't think that way because we recognize, hey, this thing is just the instrument. The thing that brought the glory to the instrument was the master. And that's what we see in worship. Worship is focused completely on God because he is the master and he is creating the beauty and we're the instruments. That's why he has become my salvation. He is the God and God alone that I worship. <clears throat> so worship is focused. Third, worship is it's exclusive. This is really important and the children of Israel had just come out of a world where there were a pantheon of gods. The Egyptians, like a lot of other cultures, believed in a god of this and a god of that, and there were gods of all kinds. And it's very interesting that the plagues that God sent were literal attacks on their prime gods of Egypt to show that they were not, in fact, gods, that he alone has control over the weather, over the earth, over the creatures on the earth, over the elements. That's why those plagues were so powerful, because it was a statement that there was one god. And the children of Israel leaving that were entering into relationship covenant with the one true God. It's worship is exclusive. God calls us to worship and worship him only. That's what we see that Yahweh, the name of God, <clears throat> Jehovah, there are different ways that, they, that they, the interpreters or the translators have recorded that. Usually they word, use the word the Lord in caps uh, because to the Hebrews it was offensive to even write down the name of God or the letters that represented God. So we see the Lord throughout our Old Testament. But Yahweh, as he was known, is so passionate for his creation. He wants us to know him and connect with him and, and to be with him, that there is only one true God. He doesn't want us distracted by thinking there are other things that brought us into this world or that there are other things who are providing for us or loving us or caring for us or other things that could answer our prayers or meet our deepest longings. That's why God will not tolerate any false gods coming in between us because he loves his creation and he wants us to know the truth. Moses was basically saying all of these other things are false gods. They can't lift a finger to the one true and living God. There will be no competition between God and these other little things because there is no competition. There is one God. That's why we don't worship angels, we don't pray to angels, we don't pray to Mary, we don't worship Mary, we don't pray to pastors or priests. We pray to God because he is the one and only. Worship is exclusive. Our prayers, our worship go to him. And finally, true worship is personal. Verse 13, <clears throat> in your unfailing love, you will lead the people you have redeemed. In your strength, you will lead them to your holy dwelling. Man, God wants his people with him. God is biding his time. He's waiting, the Bible says. He's not slow as some think he's as, as slow is, but 
He is actually patient, not wanting anybody to perish, but giving everybody ample time to come to know him. God wants to be with his people. God has prepared a place for his people. God has prepared a new world for his people. We are his beloved, and, and he's redeemed us, and he leads us. He wants us to be with him. And God will return for us just as he promised and just as he did for Israel. And he will rescue us and take us to the place of promise. But in the meantime, <clears throat> he wants us to know him in a personal way. This is our season to get close to, to experience, to have a personal relationship with that God, with Jehovah, with Yahweh. In true worship, there is a personal relationship. There is a redeemed and a redeemer. The redeemed belong to the redeemer, as the story goes. Another story I heard when I was a young man was one that our pastor used to tell about a little boy who wanted a sailboat so badly that he asked his father and he asked him and one day the father says, okay, so they went out and they literally select, hand selected the wood. They brought it home and they began to work it with the tools and the dad with his craft and he showed the son. They worked together and they created this beautiful little sailboat. And once it was done, they tied a string to it and the father let the son go to the, down to the local pond and he would let the sailboat out and he'd keep it by the string. Well, one day as the little boy was sailing his sailboat, a strong wind came up and it literally whipped that, that sailboat across the little lake and before he knew it, the string had snapped and his sailboat sailed across out of sight. He spent the entire day, he spent the next several days looking everywhere, high and low, and telling everyone that he had lost his boat and he was looking for it to be returned, and it never was. One day, several weeks later, he happened to be walking through the town and he saw in a toy store window his sailboat. Immediately, he's like, oh, my sailboat. And he runs inside and he tells the man that was behind the counter, the sailboat in the window, that's mine. My dad and I, we crafted it. We made it. And, and the, the man behind the counter was just like, I don't know about that, son. I bought that from somebody. And there's the price. It's on that in the window. And that's the price I have to receive for it. And he would not budge. Little boy was heartbroken, but he went out and he spent the next so the whole summer working hard and collecting money. And so the day he walked in the store and he placed all his little can full of money on the counter, he said, I want my sailboat. The man was happy to give it to him. He handed it across the counter. And as the little boy was walking home and he's holding the little sailboat in his arms, he said, little boat, little boat, now you're twice mine. First I made you and now I bought you. I'll keep you forever. And that's how God feels about us. And that's what happens in the worship experience. We are reminded that we were not just loved by God as he literally wove us together in our mother's womb. It wasn't just that he put the fibers of our cells and our brain and our tissues and all those things together. It was that once we were born, he endowed us with an image, his own image stamped into us. And he gave us the capacity to know and walk with him. And he enlightened at some point our hearts so that we would be able to make a step of faith towards him. This is our redeemer and we are the redeemed. God rejoices over us. God's heart loves and celebrates us as his children. And our best response is worship. He redeemed us. And that's why Paul reminds us, you are not your own for you were bought with a price. Therefore glorify God with your bodies. That's why worship is so personal. 
It's our way of giving back to God glory and honor and acknowledgement of who he is and what he has paid, the life he gave to receive us back. That's why it's personal. So let me ask you a question as we wrap up today. Um, what's your Egypt? What is that thing that you are leaving that maybe sometimes feels like it's still in pursuit of you? What's your Red Sea? What is the thing that you're currently experiencing that seems like the impossibility that you have to somehow make your way through to get to the place you're dreaming of being or that you sense God wants you to be? What is that impossibility, that thing that stands between you and the end, the ultimate, the dream, the reality? And finally, what is the pursuing army? What is the thing that you feel like is just kind of always nipping at your heels? Is it, is it an addiction? Is it a, an experience? Is it a problem? Is it something that just kind of won't let go? Well, more importantly, do you believe that the one true God, Yahweh, of the scriptures, of the song of Moses and Miriam, that that God is the God of your life? Do you believe that this is the same God who delivered them and he wants to deliver you. He wants to bring you through and show you his greatness. I believe that's true, but it comes down to our, each, our own decision. Do you believe God is personally leading you through the Red Sea, your Egypt, rescuing you from your pursuing enemies? Do you truly believe in that God? One of the primary reasons God brought us to this place, I think, and is allowing this is because many of us need to retune our hearts. And this is a perfect opportunity to do that. So can I just give you a few ways that might practically help you to do that? Here's one. Read the Psalms. The Bible right in the middle. Sometimes if you don't have too many of those extra resources at the back, just split your Bible down the middle. And right in the middle are the Psalms or the songs of David and the worshipers in the Old Testament. That is a beautiful place to begin. Read some of those regularly. Let your heart just get wrapped up in their story and then their response to God. Let that be maybe an echo of your heart. Read them, worship with them. Let me tell you another one. Download worship music and play it in the background of your life rather than some of that other stuff that can just really pollute your thinking and just degrade some of your, your emotions and your relationships. Why don't you just download some great worship like Hillsong United, Elevation, uh, Mosaic, MSC, Red Rocks, Carrie Job, there's Bethel. There's just so many great worships, uh, I, I guess, creators right now. Download some of that and just allow that to permeate your environment and your quiet time with God. Maybe it can just help usher you into his presence. Listen to it. Let it transform you. Then write down specific ways God has worked in your life and promises to work in your future. Things that you've seen God do, see, things that you sense he's doing now, and things that you see, see him promising to do later. Write those down and then bring them to God and worship him for those things celebrate, thank him, sing about those. And then maybe journal about it. Maybe write it on a sheet of paper to keep on your refrigerator, in your car, a little postcard that kind of helps you remember how God has been active. And then finally share them with others. It's not, it's not ever as real as it is when you actually tell somebody else. The journey from liberation to transformation, from Red Sea to promised land. That transition that long but slow existence is where we actually live. It's our in-between. And my prayer for you, friends, is that you would understand that God is watching, leading, and he's just calling to you to come out of your Egypt and to trust him with your life and to truly obey and walk with him, 
to experience that newness of life, that your life would be transformed by the worship that you give. That's my prayer. So let's take those Red Sea think parting issues and let's take them to God this morning. Let's give him those as we close in prayer. Would you bow with me? Our great God, we love you and we recognize in the story that you are pointing out our own story that you literally, we can see the finger of God tracing throughout history into this very present moment where you again are leading us through our own season of Red Seas and pursuing armies and difficult uh, partings. We see that you are leading us. And God, perhaps there's somebody right now, right here today listening that feels like they just, they just can't break free from something, that they're struggling with depression or discouragement or there's an issue, there's a past, there's a relationship, there's something that's just holding them back and they, they need your provision. They need your protection. They need you to fight on their behalf or God, they need you to rescue them, send the deliverer. My prayer today, Lord God, is that each of us would just entrust ourselves to you Make that full uh, of just trust and commitment to you that we would give you our whole hearts and souls, that we would trust you and obey you, that we would begin to experience your breakthroughs in our lives as we part and walk through our Red Seas. And God, our worship just will flow and it flows as we acknowledge you are the one true God. You love us, you gave your life for us, and we're yours. So God, today we pray that we would just hear and respond to whatever you're speaking to us as individuals. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, friends, as we close today, we're gonna get back into worship. We have another song we want you guys just to engage with and let this be your response today. Let, let the words, if, if it's not familiar to you, then just tune your heart in, just get quiet for a moment and just see what God might say as we wrap up. And we are excited about what we're going to be continuing to teach. And next week, we'll be back again. So God bless you guys. Don't forget, tune in to our social media, get in, in our group on Wednesday nights, or, or just continue to, um, yeah, just to pray and, and reach out to your neighbors during this difficult time. We'll see you next week. God bless. Grace and peace.
as I pour out your praise. Come, Holy Spirit, Lord, have your way as I worship your majesty. Worship your holy name, Jesus, my everything, all that I am is yours, as I worship your majesty, I worship your holy name, Jesus, my Would 
you do 